I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Align Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander. And today I had the special privilege of speaking to one of my absolute favorite nutritionist, Mr. Sean Stevenson from The Mono Health Show. In this episode, we chatted about actionable tips on how to get the best night's sleep of your life and why that matters in the first place. We got into Sean's debilitating spinal disease that he completely recovered from and how he did that and so much more. I had a phenomenal time talking with Mr. Stevenson and I hope you guys enjoy the show. 20 years old. I'm diagnosed with something called degenerative spinal disease. Most people are kind of programmed with the idea that if I want to get in shape and feel good, I need to work out. I automatically started to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. Once again, I thank you in advance for your comments and your shares of this episode. They dictate the visibility of this show, and I so greatly appreciate you getting involved with that. And be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find links to all the shows. You can find more information about the guests and more information about what we are chatting about during the show. As well, I have hundreds of absolutely free videos on functional movement, functional lifestyle choices, and how to get the most out of your body. I pour my heart and my soul into my blog, and I have products, I have online coaching, so much valuable content is on that site. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. So be sure to check that out. And here we go. Back to Sean. Align Podcast. So Sean, I'm curious on how you ended up getting started with the whole healthcare nutrition movement. Like what's, what's your background with that? Wow. So Sean, are you ready for this? I'm ready, man. You hit me. All right. So my interest was not, it was not exactly what I planned. I'll say that. And you know, my my whole life, I was really interested in being an athlete and and performing at a high level. I was like the fast kid, you know. Like I'm, I was the guy who you know people would pick first and all that kind of stuff when we'd get on the teams. And but I but I lived in the inner city, in the inner city, so it wasn't a lot of um, actually structured sports teams to be a part of. So it wasn't really until I got to late middle school and high school when I started to run track and play football. And just, I love to compete, I love to perform. And, but it's during that time when I had the first kind of flash insight of what I had in store for me, where I was doing a time trial, I was 16 years old, and I was doing a 200 meter sprint time trial by myself on the track with my coach, and I broke my hip. Yikes. All right, did you hear what I said? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big thing. Just running, you know, it's just crazy. Like, that's something that is reserved to happen to women who are like elderly women. So like women who are over 80, but here I am 16 years old and I broke my hip just from running, you know? And even for women who are elderly women, I mean, I know so many amazing, just physically healthy, uh, incredible present women uh, who are who are in that age bracket, who their bone density is better than 
you know, many 20 year old, 20 year olds today, you know, so it doesn't just, and I want to put this little caveat in there. Aging is not like a, a, a sentence for you to not have vitality and to have health. Yes. But this is just kind of our common perception of reality in our, in our modern society that as you get older, you lose the vast majority of your function and bad things are going to happen, you know, but, and it really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So anyways, back to my story, 16 years, years old, break my hip running. I go through the normal modality of treatment, you know, ultrasound, physical therapy, uh, got some crutches to get out of class early. You know, I got to got to be one of those kids that got out of class a few minutes early, which was awesome. But then I got back on the track. I got back on the football field and nobody asked any questions about it. Because, you know, when you're 16, you've got the hormones of like uh, a Greek god, you know, so Hopefully. I healed very But nobody stopped to ask, how did this kid's hip break? Fast forward 20 years old. And at this point, I'm really disenchanted with health. You know, like I really, I'm not interested because it wasn't outside of just athletic performance. I really felt I didn't, I didn't connect with science. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like human anatomy and physiology class. I didn't like chemistry. And what it was really was, and now it's my life. Like, I love it. I'm obsessed, you know, but it was the way that I was taught. And so I went to college pre-med and that was the initial decision. And it just took maybe eight weeks before I opted out of that and got into business school because I just, I didn't like the science. It was just, it was, I, I'm trying to find the right word. I'm, I don't want to say I detested it, but that's kind of the words coming to mind. I just didn't like it. And what it was, is it was the way that I was taught and it wasn't relating to me as a, as a person that, you know, everything was so external. We're talking about cell biology, but what does that have to do with my cells right now? You know? And also I saw the upperclassmen uh, who were who were in the pre-med program, they had this fixation on disease, right? So once they start to take uh, different classes, you know, having to do with psychology and, and, and um, disease diagnosis, everybody started self-diagnosing themselves with stuff all the time. It was just creeping me out, you know? And so what I wanted to do was just kind of get out of that whole thing. So I shifted over to business. And here's where my story really got interesting. And I'll just breeze through this one. I'll give you the really short version. 20 years old, I'm diagnosed with something called degenerative spinal disease, right? And so this is something that's pretty common today. But for me at that time, I had no idea, no concept of what that meant. And this was a reason that my hip had broken. So uh, my, hip, my hip had broken earlier on is because my, my bones were just, I had this degenerative issue and also my, my disc in my, on my spine as well. So I go to see the physician. He puts the MRI up for me to see, and he says that I have the spine of an 80-year-old, and I'm 20. And I'm just like, I'm used to working with my trainer, so I'm like, all right, let's fix this up. What do we got to do? And he looks at me like I'm crazy, right? And he's just like, slow down, son. You don't understand. This is something that just happens. This is something you're just going to have to deal with. And I don't know to this day, and I tell people this all the time, I don't know how I came to ask this question because I had no concept of this matter, but I asked him, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I exercise differently? And again, he looked at me like I was straight up just fresh off of a spaceship. And he says, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. But then he wrote me a prescription to eat some pills. All right. So that was the paradigm I was dealing with. Fast forward two and a half years go by. I see th uh, four different physicians. It was maybe it was four or five. And they gave me pretty much the same story. And 
at this point I'd gained about 40, 50 pounds of unattractive weight and definitely in a, in a state of depression just from lack of mobility, lack of, of, of vitality and even ha- not even having a clear picture about what my life is going to look like now because everybody's telling me I'm not going to be able to do things I want to do in my life. And for me, the manifestation of that condition was physical pain that just shot down my leg like lightning whenever I would stand up or sit down. And so it was scary. It was scary for me to even sit down or stand up. If I'm sitting down, I didn't want to get up because I didn't want the pain to happen. You know, and that's kind of symbolic about myself not wanting to stand up, you know. And something changed. I had a moment of of insight that happened at the age of 22. And what it was, man, and just to make this really simple for everybody, I decided, you know, I decided to get well. And that might sound really simple, but most people never actually do that. We're more so wishful thinking, like, I'm going to give this a try. That would be nice. And when you make a real decision about something, you actually cut away the possibility of failure. Like, when you decide to do something, and the Latin root is de meaning from and kaidir, which means to cut. So I cut away the possibility of anything happening except me being well. And so on that note, you know, it wasn't like a, a magic genie came out and granted my wish. I'm a very kind of hardcore science-minded person, very analytical, so I put a plan together. And that plan inc- included three major components. One was movement, which all the physicians told me not to move. Wear this back brace, be careful. Not understanding that the human body requires movement in order to heal itself. It requires movement in order to assimilate nutrients that you take in, no matter how good your diet is. And I've got studies to back that up, which are really fascinating if you want to talk about it. Yeah. Number two was nutrition. What is my back actually made of? You know, what are the what are the discs in my back? What types what types of uh, raw materials are my spine is my spine made of, and are my my disc made of? This is a question most people never ask. You know, if they're dealing with a condition where they're um, degenerate degener- have degenerative tissue, it's like if you don't provide your body with the raw materials it needs to rebuild you, it can't do the job. You know, so I got really focused on that. And part three was putting my body in a state for the healing to take place and at the end of the day, which literally is at the end of the day, which is sleep. Sleep is the most anabolic stage state for the human body to be in. And so when I got my sleep dialed in, I healed so much faster. Put out, put the big bow on this story. Six weeks after making that decision, I lost 30 pounds. The pain I'd been experiencing every waking moment for two and a half years was gone. And people, I was still in my university at the time, so I, sw- I shifted my course of study over to biology again. And people at my school, they saw the transformation. They started asking me for help. And that was the birthing of my career. Amazing, man. I have, <laughs> I'm like grinning ear to ear the whole time for that story. I love hearing that stuff. And you know, one of the things that st- stands out for me so much with that is the decision to be well. You know, it's not just about like, oh, I, you know, I will do this or, oh, you know, we, we get so wrapped up on our stories, you know, and I work with this on a daily basis. People have dealing with pain for, you know, 20 years and it becomes so embedded in their story of who they are, whether they realize it or not it's challenging to let that stuff go, you know, and then you go and it gets, becomes reinforced by, you know, seeing the doctor, you know, whatever that you read on the, on the Google or whatever it is. And that's the biggest obstacle I think is yourself. You know, Absolutely. And, that, and, and that's why it's so profound hearing. And this is kind of what this show is about is finding people, you know, that have, that have gone through these experiences and 
It's just fascinating, man. I really appreciate hearing it. I wanted to hear a little bit more about the research you had mentioned about movement and in its relation to uh, assimilation of nutrition, was it? Sure, yeah. Early on, uh, I came across a study that was, it was actually a study done with horses, race horses in particular. And what they wanted to do, because if a horse breaks a bone, that's grounds for the horse to be put down. You know, that's grounds for the horse to actually have, um, you know, for, for the horse to be put to sleep, quote, put to sleep. And what was so interesting in this study was like they, they wanted to improve the bone density of the horses so they're less likely to have a bone break. So what they did was they put the horses onto supplements, in particular calcium supplement. And what they discovered, they had the control group that they just gave the, the supplements to, the horses that just had the calcium supplements, we'll just say calcium. And the other group, which is a study group, they gave the horses calcium and they walked the horses. What they found at the end of the study is that the horses who received the calcium supplements but were not walked, their improvement in their bone density was negligible. It was hardly anything. It was not even worth talking about. However, the horses that were walked in conjunction with taking the calcium supplements had a radical increase in their bone density, right? So, and it's because of this simple fact is that your body literally, and I, I said this already, requires movement for it, for it to assimilate and to drive nutrients into the tissues that you're using. This is why muscles atrophy, bones atrophy, if you're not using them, right? If you're not actually putting that thing, it's that whole thing of like, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you're not putting that part of your body into continuous physical motion, it starts to decline. And it starts to decline pretty rapidly because the human unit is designed for movement. Life is movement, you know. And as soon as you cease, like, what is death? That's the cessation of movement, you know. And so we we have to be conscientious enough to physically engage our body in any way that we can on a daily basis, frequently, you know. Because again, this is what really what we're designed for. And so that that was one of the most fascinating studies. And for me, that was enough to say, you know, I know the nutrition is important, but it's not going to do the job unless I move again. And that was it was a fear based thing for me because. I've been told that I couldn't do all these things. You know, be careful, be careful. And here's, this is an important caveat for everybody. So of course I would recommend for people to consult, consult your physician or your healthcare practitioner, hopefully it's somebody who's acclimated to integrative medicine, right? But work with them, but here's the thing. If you've got an acute situation where you're just getting hurt and it's very inflamed, Absolutely, you know, if you just have a, like a, an acute situation with your lower back, I'm not saying to go deadlift tomorrow, right? Like give yourself 24 to 48 hours so the inflammation can reduce, subside. But then at that point, you need to start doing what you can, right? You wanna start encouraging your body to heal itself because it knows what to do. You just gotta create the right conditions. And the more that you're docile and dormant and not doing anything, it's really not conducive to your body doing the job that it can do. You know, so you wanna to start to do what you can and there's an immense amount of right um, self therapy exercise you can do or of course working with an intelligent physician or a therapist, you know, but you have gotta do what you can, absolutely. You, 
your your body again it requires movement in order for it to heal itself i hope that's really sinking in for everybody yeah you know and, and another big thing that that you're kind of getting at too is you know you we're continually creating this positive and or negative feedback loop of information you know and it's and it's based off of our movement and our responses to our reality you know so if we are we go outside we decide to make that decision to get some sun you know to take your shoes off and like you know we'll go pick something heavy up you know hopefully functionally and well you know but what that ends up doing is it makes you feel a little bit better you know change the way you stand you know all of a sudden bring your shoulders back open your chest up bring your chin up you know people start responding to you differently which in turn creates a different response of yourself you know all of a sudden your self-worth goes up just because of those little minute movement decisions that end up stacking up over and over so I'm really curious what what was there any specific movement decisions that you had made that um, induced healing with the back wow it was very rudimentary man I mean it was very very like kindergarten stuff for me uh, um, I'm going from like literally like laying on my floor or on my couch for years you know what I'm saying playing a lot of like my, my fingers were in shape because of video games like <laughs> my fingers had like six packs and biceps on them right but at this point it was like the um, lowest hanging fruit is what I encourage people to do. Do what you can. And so because my leg really wasn't functioning properly, like I just didn't have that engagement, like that neuromuscular disconnection with my mind and with my, what I want my legs to do, I started off on a stationary bike, you know? And so I did that for about a week. Then I moved over and started walking on the treadmill a little bit. Then I moved over and um, I started doing like a little bit of rowing. Next thing you know, I picked up the dumbbells again. And that's really what shifted it for me when I started lifting weights and doing strength training again, you know, which is so, again, counterintuitive. I was, I was afraid, but I put the fear aside, you know, and really worked on strengthening all the things that, that my body was missing for so many years, you know, and it's just like a seeming miracle happened, but it wasn't a miracle. It was just smart, uh, smart application of these things. And, but here's the big thing, and I can't not say this. The nutrition was critically important for me because it's asking the question, you know, how did I get to the place where my bones were deteriorating like that or my spinal discs were deteriorating like that? So for me, it was really interesting because a book showed up and you know how it is, man, when the student is ready, a teacher will appear. Uh, it was a book by, uh, the guy's name was Herman Ayara and it was called Acid and Alkaline. And in the book, he said, your body works on a hierarchy, right? It's, there's a hierarchy of needs in your body. So your body determines whether or not something is more important than something else. So for me, your blood, or not for, for all of us, but in particular in my case, your blood getting built is more important than your bones getting built, right? Because the blood is like the, the river of life, all right? So your blood requires calcium in order to clot, right? So if you're deficient in these minerals and because you've been consuming all these acidic compounds, your body's going to leach calcium from your bones in, in to aid in buffering the acidity, but also to build your blood, right? The bones are secondary. So what he said, when you're in the state of acidosis, what's going to happen is your body's first going to pull calcium or pull the nutrients from your spine and from your hip first. And those are the two areas that I had issues with. And when I saw that, I just, I was done, man. Like I couldn't believe what I was seeing that this was, he's detailing what had happened with me. And so, I shifted over and I really started to consume. Um, and when we're talking about acids and alkaline, all this it, all this means is mineral content, man. 
You know, like people probably hear these terms out there, but what does it really mean? It just means what mineral construct is in that food, really. And um, one other thing I want to kind of backpedal on before we go any further with this is, you know, I think it's really important. And you said this, like, this is what your show is about. When when we get diagnosed with something and the word, even the, the diag- I'm a big stat student of lexicon and words, if you haven't picked that up already. But diagnosis really means guess. It's just a guess, mm-hmm. you know, but if it's coming from somebody who's gone to medical school and they've been in school for 12 years and somebody gives you a guess, it's like you take that as solid truth. Right. And it's like it's the word of all of creation telling you that, you know, you have this condition and this is just the way it is, you know, and that ownership that we take of that is very, very profound. And I think that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's like a guess or a curse or a placebo or a nocebo. You know, it's like the, the power that that doctors, you know, wield or, or therapists or just any respected healthcare practitioner, the power that they have in their words is, is just massive. You know, I think that oftentimes we neglect to recognize how important that is that just choosing our language wisely, man. I, I, I love that you obviously have recognized that. So it's really, it's really cool to get to get to hear. One of the things I want, I was curious about you had mentioned with, uh, your blood, um, the, your water that you're drinking, how does that impact the blood that's mm. circulating? Mm. Let me tell you, <laughs> Check this out. So one of the things that I discovered in my research, your the, the, because of course I had in particular issues with my disc in my spine. So the discs that were, you know, so like in particular it was the L, L4 and L5S1 vertebrae and the disc associated with them um, is that your discs are non-vascular, okay? The discs in your spine are non-vascular. So what does that mean? Basically, it doesn't have a direct blood flow or slash water flow going to them to supply them with nutrients. However, the spine, the disc in your, in your back, or even maybe even, you know, like your meniscus in your knee, these are supposed to be like, I don't like to use the word shock absorbers because it's not necessarily what it is, but they're supposed to be spongy, you know, capable of, of movement and flexibility. So when they start to get dried out, that's another reason why we have this so-called degeneration, right? Now, here's the issue. Again, they're non-vascular, so water doesn't get there directly. Right. When you drink, like just say you guzzle down a a liter of high quality structured water, it's going to get to your brain relatively quickly, your uh, your skin, your obviously your gastrointestinal tract, you know, Um, and it's going to actually get to your blood relatively quickly. The, The water that you drink becomes your blood within a matter of minutes. Right. This is why it's so important. But understand that your discs are non-vascular. This basically means that nutrition is gonna get there first. It's actually a process of remote diffusion. And you know, I wanna get too geeked out with everybody, but this is, it is basically it's like a semi-permeable membrane that the nutrients have to cross. So it's basically, it's complicated. It's like that story with the troll and the bridge, right? You've gotta have enough presence and enough power to get past the troll, right? And so what that is for me and what, what that equates to for everybody is if you're dealing with a condition of degeneration of things like your 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 cartilage in your knees or your meniscus or your uh, your your disc in your back, you need to super hydrate your system. You have to provide your body with enough hydration that it can fulfill all the needs everywhere else, and then have some left to push through and to to get to your um, your problem areas, basically. 
And so what that looks like for me back in the day was I was drinking prior to my healing uh, experience. I was drinking maybe a cup of water a day, maybe a lot of Sunny D, a lot of um, uh, what was I drinking? Uh, just orange drink. Right. Not even it's not orange soda, orange drink, whatever that is. Not even purple drink. And uh, yeah, purple drink, purple <laughs> stuff. Oh, I want the purple stuff, you know, and just stuff like that, you know, and I wasn't drinking any high quality water, except maybe a cup a day. So I was so radically dehydrated. I was chronically dehydrated. And most people would experience a shocking change in their health if they start to proactively consume water. But a couple of issues arise there when, uh, number one, some people say, you know, I don't really like water. And then I question whether or not they're human. <laughs> and so the, the reality is, of course, some people might have some issues with this. It's probably related to something that happened you know, when they were very young, but more so it's an issue of like, I'm not thirsty, but yet they eat a lot. And what it is because these signals in your brain, so your hypothalamus is actually um, is actually structuring and uh, putting all these signals together. And the hunger signal and thirst signal are very, very similar, right? So oftentimes when we're really just thirsty, we'll go and eat some food. And the food, what's that going to do? It's going to exacerbate the problem of being dehydrated because it's going to pull more water to your to your bowels, to your gastrointestinal tract to try to process the food, right? So it becomes this vicious circle and not understanding like I'm just chronically hydrated. This is why I'm gaining weight. This is why my skin is really messed up. This is why I'm losing mobility in my spine or my disc are degenerating more. And it's really, it, it's so, and I, and I hope that of course with your audience and with with you, like we all understand that this stuff is actually really simple. It boils down to some very simple principles. And really what it boils down to is like, what do your genes expect of you? Mm. You know, do the things your genes expect you to do. Consuming high quality water is like something your genes expect you to do. If you don't do that, you're gonna get pain. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's one of the one of the interesting things is I think oftentimes we feel like we need to spend, you know, thousands of dollars in order to get well. You know, I think that the, the most important stuff that we can possibly do is like, it's all free, man. You know, how's your relationships? You know, are you getting enough sun? Are you getting your feet in the dirt? You know, are you getting enough sleep? What kind of water are you drinking? Are you drinking enough water? You know, there's so many simple, simple solutions that people just like, we neglect because we're not paying for it. You know, it's like the more you pay, the more you pay attention. It's like, we got to get back to the human stuff. You know, and one of the things I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to chat with you about is in my mind, you were like the, like the sleep, you know, master. <laughs> like, like I envision like chimes and harps and like silk blowing with ionized <laughs> air. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm really curious, A, how you got into kind of just the topic of sleep the way you have, which anybody listening, I absolutely 100% would say just go buy Sleep Smarter right now just because it's the change that it's had on my own life. It's, it's amazing, man. Like I've been sleeping all my life, but never have I put the amount of intention that I put into yeah. it now. I mean, it's like, it's a science experiment. I mean, that, that kind of makes it sound a little sterile, but like I'm, I'm getting into it. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I'm curious hey, you know what it is? your thoughts. Oh man, I mean, it's so interesting, man. And it was from, from clinical experience, you know, I would see people coming in that they seem to have a pretty good nutrition protocol, they're, they seem to be exercising um, appropriately, but oftentimes it's too much exercise, actually. But 
I would see this pattern of the individuals who weren't getting the results that they wanted, whether it was working on reversing type two diabetes or some weight loss protocol, is that there would be the, this hole in their game and it was usually related to stress and or sleep after further investigation. And so I really got interested in this and looking at, okay, so how does sleep really pay, play into this equation? And that took me back to my own experience of, you know, going from just broken, a broken human being to being an individual of really vibrant health and impacting lives of hundreds of thousands of other people. Like, it's just profound. And I thought about, wait a minute, when I started to change the way that I was eating and I changed my movement patterns and my perspective, which we've been talking about, I automatically started to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. I didn't think about it. I literally, I was a, I was a college student. I'm not concerned about going to bed and getting up. Like there was no concept of that. It's just naturally happened. Like I would be sleepy at, you know, 10 o'clock and I'd go to bed and I'd be just so full of energy and I'd wake up at, you know, five, six o'clock and just want to do something. I wanted to live, I wanted to create. And it's because of the, you know, the real change. Well, here, let's just get into it. So why this matters is that sleep is known as the anabolic state, all right? The anabolic state. So what does that mean? Anabolic or anabolism means the building up of something, okay? Growth. Being awake in and of itself is catabolic, you know? Anything that we're doing right now, our body is more catabolic than anabolic by far. And even there are some things that we can do during our waking hours that lead to more anabolic things like lifting heavy weights, you know, doing heavy deadlifts, for example. Your body will secrete more uh, anabolic hormones, but the real anabolic change doesn't happen physically until you sleep, right? And to give a good example of this, like oftentimes people think when they go into the gym, you know, like after I get a good workout and like I'm in better shape, that's not true. You're in better shape when you walk in the gym door. As soon as you start working out, you're in worse shape than when you walked in, mm. right? You've broken your body down. You've you know, muscle fibers are, are torn. We're, we've, we're talking about like inflammatory uh, stress hormones are going to be off the charts. If I take you to get some blood work done, uh, uh, inflammatory biomarkers are going to be up. Your blood sugar is probably going to be up. We can probably get you diagnosed as a pre-diabetic or diabetic, right? Or some type of a inflammatory health issue. But all that happened was you just did a tough workout. Now, again, exercise is awesome. It's, it's incredible. It's built into our DNA. But it's, a, it's called a hormetic stressor. So it's a stressor that is good for you when you get the rest and, re, and reparative action that follows that. And that happens while you're asleep, right? So during sleep is when you release the greatest amount of human growth hormone, for example, right? HGH. And I just did a talk yesterday for, uh, for this uh, big like nationwide bank. And I, when I said HGH, I'm just kind of surveying people like, what do you think about it? And it's like Alex Rodriguez, Jason Giambi, you know, uh, Marion Jones, those things come to mind when we think about HGH, you know, like a, a P, it's a PED, right? Well, this is actually a really powerful endogenous hormone that gets uh, secreted by your pituitary gland every day. It's just how much are you producing? The reason that they take it is really threefold. Well, we'll just focus on two things. Number one, it gives you energy. HGH is known as the youth hormone. It makes it makes it so, this is why kids have so much energy. Like you, you, Kids don't even walk. They don't even walk. They run. You know, like my three-year-old, if he has to go get something from his room, he runs and he runs back. You know, like walking is just not present. Unless, of course, like if you just take waking up or something like that. But generally, they're moving fast. They've got so much energy, right? Just run around, hit me with his Ninja Turtle swords and just, he won't stop, you know? And so, but when we start to get older, around the age of 18 to 20, we have a pretty 
uh, dramatic decline in the amount of human growth hormone we produce. And I'm here to argue the fact that it's not just because you got older. It's because we get older and we stop sleeping, mm. right? 18 years old, we're out of the house. Generally, we're in mm. college now. It's like, mom can't tell me to get to bed. I got to get up and go to school in the morning, right? And we start this pattern of, of really poor behavior and, and uh, really low quality sleep hygiene. So we're not giving our body the opportunity to produce HGH we need. So that's part one. Part two is for repair and healing. HGH is a very, very powerful anabolic uh, healing driver. It's a driver of healing and healing processes. And um, it really connects with a lot of reparative enzymes as well in your body. And again, so all that really happens, this is a secret sauce and it really all happens while you're asleep. There are a couple of books I feel that are mandatory to read in our society today. I, I don't know how this process or how this book actually came from me, you know, like it's such a profound experience, you know, and this is this book has been number one on the bestseller list, in at least one health category for going on eight months. That's totally unheard of. But what it is, is there's a shift in consciousness happening and we're making the conversation. First of all, sleep is not a sexy topic, you know, so people are not just going to be like just giddy, like I can't wait to see this new uh, sleep protocol, you know, but we'll do that about a new fancy diet or a new fancy exercise program. But so what I've done is made sleep approachable, made it attractive, made it fun, and like literally putting, making it sexy, making it something that's like, like you said, it's like, it's an experiment, but it's kind of fun, it's kind of cool. We do these new things, we're gonna try this, try that. And then you see the results. That is what's so powerful. You actually see the results. And the stories that I get on a daily basis from people, it's, I, it blows my mind, you know? But the thing is, I actually, I knew that this was going to happen because this is what happens when you get high quality sleep. And never one time in the book did I say, you need to get blank hours of sleep. You know, you need to get eight hours of sleep, whatever. It's not about that. Actually, I teach you how to get less sleep, you know, and actually get more quality, you know, so you can sleep less and wake up feeling better. Yeah. Because it's really about getting your body into the most deep rejuvenative stages of sleep more often. You know, so we got, there's according to the research, depending on which experts you talk to, there's five stages of sleep. Really, I break it down to two, non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep. This is an important factor. This is where you're getting your dreamy time on, you're dreaming. And what the research indicates is that this is really important for you to be able to psychologically process data that you've taken in. And so there's a process called memory processing that happens. This is where your short-term memories get converted into long-term memories. So this is why, like, if you're not sleeping, then you literally get dumber, right? Mm -hmm. And so... That's REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Non-REM sleep is deep, quote, deep sleep. This is the most anabolic state a human being can be in. So there are certain things, we could talk about that, man, of there are certain things that you can do in your life while you're awake that can get you into stages, uh, into, into that non-REM sleep more frequently. And so that you wake up feeling better than you ever have. Let's talk and about so that's it. what the book is really about. <laughs> is, can, we, can we get into a little bit about what you can do while you're awake? Mm, absolutely. Let's do it. So I like to do the, again, the lowest hanging fruit, you know? So the first thing to, to turn to is most people, when they want to get healthy, exercise is really approachable. Like every, most people are kind of programmed with the idea that if I want to get in shape and feel good, I need to work out. When that's for me, uh, and just seeing this clinically, uh, it's maybe 20 to 30% of the equation. You know, the other 70%, 80% is your nutrition. But so, but still exercise for the common, for, for conventional thinking is very approachable. So here's what to do. There's a there was a research study done at Appalachian State University, okay? They took exercisers and they broke them up into three groups. 
Group A exercised at 7 a.m., Group B exercised at 1 p.m., and Group C exercised at 7 p.m., okay? At the end of the study, what they found is that Group A, the morning exercisers, spent up to 75% more time in the deep, non-REM, rejuvenative stages of sleep, okay? Up to 75% more time in deep sleep that we've been talking about thus far that really gives you all the stuff that you need, all the change in your body, the healing, the energy, you get up to 75% more of that if you exercise in the morning, all right? So, but people who exercise after work don't be disheartened. And actually, I haven't talked about this, I don't think on any show at this point, but the afternoon exercises were found to get the least benefit, all right? So like the people who work out in the lunch hour, you might want to restructure things if you want to improve your sleep quality, get better results. But a lot of people is like, this is the only time I've got, hey, I'm, we're kindred spirits, do what you gotta do. You know, it's better that you're doing it then than not doing it at all. So, but in the evening, there's some benefits, but they're not even remotely close as, as working out in the morning. Now, with that said, this does not mean that you need to hit the gym in the morning by any means. However, if you do make that a practice, what's found in the, in the research, this is not in the book, but people who exercise long-term, like a lifelong habit, 75% of those people exercise in the morning. So I'm just gonna put it out there. Now, what we're doing is, it's not about hitting the gym, because I actually train in the afternoon, in the early afternoon, myself personally, but I do activity in the morning because what you're doing by working out in the morning is you're helping to finally reset and optimize your circadian timing. Okay, so your, your secretion of hormones. So what we were doing in the morning is your cortisol levels should be high in the morning. And cortisol is, you know, it's a well-known stress hormone now, but it's a really good thing. You need it. It's just when it gets out of balance. One of the out-of-balance issues is if you're producing a lot of cortisol and it's 10 o'clock at night and you should be sleeping. That's a problem. All right, so by exercising in the morning, just for even 5, 10 minutes, seriously, you do some rebounding, get yourself a mini trampoline, do some rebounding, you do some yoga, do some Tabata, or maybe this is when you hit the gym. Maybe you go for power walk. Whatever it might be, it's going to help to increase or secre- um, encourage that cortisol secretion, which in, in, in turn is going to help the cortisol to be lower in the evening. Okay, so we're helping to reset this pattern. And here, here's why this is so effective, Aaron. Cortisol is the antithesis of melatonin. Okay, it's the complete opposite. They have an inverse relationship. So when cortisol is up, melatonin is down. When melatonin is up, cortisol is down. All right, so if your cortisol is high in the morning, melatonin is going to be ground floor. And melatonin is the get good sleep hormone. This is the hormone secreted that helps you to get into stages of the deepest stages of sleep, okay? Stages three and four. Or just if you wanna make it simple, non-REM sleep. All right, so now in the evening, here's the issue. If your cortisol levels are up in the evening because you're watching, you know, some, I don't know, scary movie or something, or you're just running around, or even you're at the gym, or you're just, you know, just up doing a bunch of activity, got all the lights on in your house, these are considered stressors to your body. And also, a lot of daytime hormones are gonna get produced, namely cortisol. And so, your melatonin is gonna be ground floor. And at this point, you can go to sleep. This does not mean that you're gonna get good sleep, right? And this leads to the thing of people going to bed and getting a certain amount of hours, but they're still waking up tired. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense, man, 100%. One of the things that really intrigued me a lot and kind of like the, the most challenging thing for me, and I think so many people that I talk to, is getting to sleep at a decent hour, and I think that there's there's so many factors that are that are involved with that. One of which is you know continual stimulation from all of our gizmos and such. Um, but the 10 a or the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. window of super sleep. What what's the deal with that? <laughs> I love this. So 
Um, what we call this is money time sleep. And what, what the research indicates is that around 9 p.m., all right, around 9 p.m., there's a shift in enzymatic activity that happens in your body that prepares your body for sleep, all right? There's a decrease in your core body temperature to, to create the best conditions for your body to get deep sleep. But this enzymatic activity turns on and it's for the sole purpose of repairing your brain, your heart, your liver, your skin. It's for repairing your body while you're sleeping. Now here's the rub. If you don't get to sleep around that time when these hormonal, I'm sorry, these enzymatic shift starts happening, what you experience is what's called an energy second wind. So for example, you might be driving home uh, yesterday and you're like, it's like five o'clock, sun's going down, six o'clock, and you're like, and you're yawning. And you're like, I'm gonna get to sleep early tonight. Then, you know, nine o'clock rolls around, maybe you're clicking through some stations, there's a game on, or there's, I don't know, Walking Dead is on your, you know, your DVR, whatever. Or you're on YouTube, you know how YouTube can be. You watch one video, then there's like five other ones and you get into that. Next thing you know, it's like 10 o'clock and you're wired, like you're awake. He's like, I could stay up all night, I'm not tired at all. And so you don't go to bed. And so what happened was that energy that your body produced for that one single day, that's all you got. It was used haphazardly. It was used to fuel this kind of YouTube, uh, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole you just went down, you know, and not repairing your body and your brain. So you're becoming a less strong, healthy version of yourself by making that decision. And this is a decision that's very new to us as human beings. You know, even a hundred, just a hundred years ago, you know, just a couple generations ago, we didn't have the, uh, the capability. Like if it got dark outside, that's it. Like it's dark, you know, like you could light a fire or something, but you can't, you, you can't do anything about it. Like the lights out on the planet, it lights are out. Today, we have this very interesting capability that we, like we can literally manufacture a second daytime. We are in total control. We can put all the lights on and what that does, and so this is another important tip here, strategy, your skin has photoreceptors that pick up light. You know, So even if you're sleeping with an eye mask, or something like that, but even before you get into the bed situation, um, your, your body and your brain is just picking up this light and there's a particular troublesome light. It's a blue spectrum of light coming from our devices, our computers, our iPhones, our, our iPads, our, our uh, Kindle readers, things of this nature. And it's very similar to the spectrum of light coming from the sun. So for our very primitive, still endocrine system, nervous system, well, not, I'm not gonna say primitive, wired up very similar to our ancestors, okay? For our, for, our, for, our in, for our nervous system, endocrine system, it's picking up that data and it's just signaling, it's giving us data that it's still daytime. So we're gonna be producing more daytime hormones and the nighttime hormones are gonna be hitting the ground. And so, and again, I don't wanna just throw ideas out there. There was a study, it was Rensselaer Polytechnic, which actually studied this. Two hours of iPad use at the maximum brightness in this particular study was enough to dramatically suppress the secretion of melatonin, hmm. right? So you're just, not, you're just not secreting it. And again, you can go to bed and go through the act of sleeping, but this does not mean that you're getting into the non-REM anabolic sleep that you really need. Yeah. Yeah, and one, it's just a little add-on with that, something that, that I use, I know you use as well, is um, I use an app called Flux, F period L-U-X, on my computer, which essentially brings, it it tones down the, the temperature of your screen uh, dependent upon the time of the day. So once the sun goes down, all of a sudden your screen turns this kind of fun little like orange color, and I notice a significant difference with that. I try as, as often as possible also to turn my, my devices onto airplane mode, which that's going to reduce 
just all the EMF and all the stuff that you just don't need to be circulating through your house anytime, but especially not when you're going to bed. And then became super freak and recently got blue blockers. This was induced from kind of like getting involved with the experiment. And yeah. I swear to God, man, that stuff is changing my life. <laughs> oh, I love to hear that. It's, it's, it's incredible. So it's, it's, ex, it's experiential, you know? Yeah. And now at this point, like there's a neuro associated, a neuro association between when I put my glasses on my, and I, you know, I don't wear like reading glasses, but these orange tinted shades to block out that blue spectrum of light. When I put those glasses on at night, I immediately get sleepy, you know, like it starts with like the process of unwinding just naturally happens. And it's definitely tied to an increase in melatonin that's happening. But also it's just like, it's again, it's a strong neuro associations that's created, but also, so these are a couple of hacks. Number one, flux. And your, your screen will do that automatically based on what time zone you're in. And then you can wear these orange tinted shades. Or the optimal thing is to give yourself a screen curfew. You know, and I recommend, and it's not that bad, you know, just like 90 minutes before you plan on going to sleep to get off of your devices. And just yesterday when I was doing this workshop, this convention, and um, so I'm speaking to all these corporate individuals and I asked them like, okay, so, and they were all with me. I mean, we were rocking it out. They were having an amazing time. And so I asked them, okay, so 90 minutes before you go to bed. So what, there are other things that we can do in this time. What can we do? And I see a couple hands raised, well, two out of this whole room of people. And one lady was like, read a book. I'm like, yes, you can read a book. You know, what a concept, you know, there are these old relics called books. You don't have to be on a device so that you can read something, you can read a book, right? And then the other lady kind of put her hand down and I was like, what were you gonna say? And she's like, oh, I, don't know. I was gonna say the book thing. And so I'm like, I'm in this room full of people who have no idea what to do besides watch TV or to be on a device, right? Yeah. And then this courageous woman puts her hand up after I'm like a minute's going by and I'm just, we're all laughing at each other. And well, I'm laughing at them, they're laughing at themselves. And this lady puts her hand up, she's like, uh, talk to your spouse? I was like, yes, somebody, you can talk to somebody, you know, you can actually do that. And then the the woman who initially said to read a book, she was like, you could talk on your phone too, right? And it's just like, there's all, like they turned into children that had no idea how to live in the world, right? Without their devices, you know? So it's it's something we've got to make this approachable. We got to make it fun because like we're so just, consumed with our devices like it's become like who we are it's not really true it's not the truth of who you are but this is what we think and by the way it's because also it's very addictive man you know we get a little dopamine hit when we get another uh follower on instagram or on twitter or somebody likes your post we get a little dopamine hit from that you know and so and dopamine is not what we're going for we're looking for serotonin right so these are things that stimulate us and keep us wanting more and so we've got to catch ourselves in that. And I promise you, it might be a little discomfort at first, you know, but it will make your life so much richer and successful and happy when you get reconnected to people and to yourself, yeah. you know? So taking that time to, you know, talk with the people that you love, you know, ask them about their day, um, what, what their challenges are, what they're excited about, what they're thankful for, sharing that with them as well. Um, reading, obviously, leaders are readers, you know, taking that time to do that. It's a great time to do some meditation, reflection, some introspection, some planning, to write your goals out for the next day. There's so much fruitful stuff that you can be doing in in that time that does not require you to be on a device. And it's going to do nothing 
but improve your sleep quality and improve your your health and vitality overall. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you hit on for for a bit there about you know, creating these these correlations between you know when you put on your your you know, your your nighttime glasses or when you you know what when you read your book when you talk to your spouse whatever it is we start creating these correlations in our mind of like oh okay it is sleepy time you know it's we can we can start kind of like hack that it's like the new fun term but we can almost like hack that in all sorts of aspects of our lives you know we can we can almost like trick ourselves into you know turning our morning routine into as opposed to like waking up and be like ah oh, I hate the morning you know we, you can actually practice getting excited first thing in the morning and eventually your your brain starts to integrate that into alarm rings and you are stoked you know but what we've done is we've just integrated these patterns of like okay nighttime it's time to get on the computer check out the twitter do all that stuff that actually lights our brain up like a christmas tree you know that we just need to start creating these other practices that are a little bit more maybe functional in our life. The other thing I wanted to, to uh, chat about, which is something that I noticed like just huge, huge difference, was um, just creating the ritual around sleeping and how much it's impacted me with just like everything, you know, my, my, all my senses, you know, creating more sensuality around sleeping, just being more aware of, you know, the smells that I surround myself with, you know, the sounds that I have in the room, the sight or lack thereof, you know, there's so many different things to it that just puts yourself in that state of blank, in this case, sleeping. I'm curious, do you have any, like, what is your nighttime ritual? Do you got one? I'm sure you do. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, I, I want to give the example of my son first. So he's he's three now, but this a lot of people are shocked when they hear this. He's been sleeping through the night, 10 to 12 hours since he was six weeks old, right? And this is totally possible with any human child. It's just, we have this conditioned idea that, oh, you know, the kid's gonna be up. Not understanding the fact that the child wants to sleep. They want to sleep too. It's just creating the pattern, creating the conditions for that to take place. And it starts with us as our adult, as adults and what we believe. And so for my child, what we did early on was we had a certain ritual, you know, and we integrated, we added some parts in as he got a little bit older. But so right now the ritual is, you know, um, he gets his pajamas on. We read a book of some sort, even when he was very tiny, we just take a second and kind of go through some pages of something, you know. And, but now he's really into the books. He can literally like, dictate him himself and just tell the story. But then we, after that, you know, I give him a hug, he gets into bed and I turn on this music that he's been listening to since he was six weeks old. It's very just gentle, calm music. And I close the door and he's asleep within five minutes, every time, usually within two minutes, I'm not kidding. And it's because we created this neuro association. This process happens, music comes on, do door close, sleep. And what the issue is that we think that we're so much more evolved. We're just big babies. You know, we're big babies with the same basic programming. And but we're now we're haphazardly allowing these neuro associations to be created for us. We're definitely products of our of our environment, for sure. But we're also creators of our environment. This is what makes humans so unique. You know, so you can constantly create your own neuro association. And you want to create that neuro association between your bed and your bedroom and sleep. Whereas a lot of people, when they step into their bedroom, it's a neuro association to, um, to work. I work in my bedroom. 
I watch television in my bedroom. I fight in my bedroom, right? So it's all this different energy and we're wired up to, to have these things and we'll self-sabotage or, or have these self-fulfilling prophecies continuously because of the association we create. And I tell people this all the time, your bedroom should be for two things, right? The double S, sleep and sex. <laughs> sleep and sex, that's pretty much it. You never wanna bring work into bed with you. That's like relationship suicide. And couples who have a television in their bedroom have 50% less sex, according to the research. And it's probably gonna be like, a lot of people are gonna hear this and they're like, yeah, I can use some more of that in my life. Maybe the television's an issue. But there's gonna be like one person's like, no, nah, it's not a problem for me, you know? And I would be, I would also challenge that, how new is your relationship? Because when it's new, you know, it's gonna be like rabbits. It's, it's kinda is what it is. But as your relationship becomes more mature and evolved, um, you, you've got to have the right conditions, you know, for continuous connection to happen, right? So just a little thing I'm throwing out there for some guys that go and get the TV out of their room like yesterday. But for me personally, my, my uh, kind of ritual, my evening ritual, the neuroassociation program, for me, it starts a little bit earlier. You know, it starts with dinner, you know, so we um, shoot to have dinner around the same time, you know, around seven o'clock. And I'm a pretty slow eater. And um, so we'll wrap that up and we have like this time, family time, so we're not on devices. I've got a 14 year old son in my house as well and a three year old and then my wife and we've all got cell phones and devices, but from seven to 10, nobody's on their, on their devices. And of course, if I've got an, like something that's really pressing with work, whatever, there's, there, are, there are conditions where that's okay, but generally we, we're not on our devices, we're actually connecting as a family, you know? And sometimes, of course, like we might watch a movie every now and then, but Generally, this is time for um, just just conversating and just, you know, being together. I mean, it's just su such a foreign thing. It's weird that I'm even talking about it, you know? So that's happening then. Um, my, my youngest son is going to bed between 8.30 and 9. And so then it's, and then of course, then my older son will like do his homework, whatever. He's kind of hanging out in his room. And then this is time for me and my wife to do whatever we want to do. You know, so this might be conversation, this might be something else, you know, so this is time for us to be together and I'll read. I read pretty much every evening right before bed. So that's a part of my, my program. It's even a couple pages of something. Um, and I've, I've experimented on what I read. So I've read like nonfiction because um, I, I, I thought that fiction was like it wasn't it wasn't uh, what's the word? It just wasn't productive, you know? Because you're probably like me and you just want to keep learning. You want to keep getting better. Yeah. And I would look at this like it's just not efficient. It's not effective use of my time. But in actuality, what it does is it really helps your brain to become more creative. Because you're seeing, you're seeing like a movie that you're creating in your mind based off of the words you're reading. So I found the value in, not, in, in fiction as well now. But so I'll read something uh, nice or something empowering or maybe a little bit of, of a fiction book. And then... Um, just some of the normal stuff, you know, brush the teeth, use the bathroom. And uh, I'll also put on this, and I'm, man, I don't want to be like a tie-dye shirt kind of, you know, like just, I'm not out there, woo-woo, but I got a salt lamp now. <laughs> and what I got it was, it was based on some, some really interesting research about the ions that it's going to be producing from the heat coming off of the lamp and, and interacting with the salt, this Himalayan salt lamp. 
And I'm all about the ions, man. I'm all about this negative charge energy. And so uh, I put the salt lamp, well, no, it's usually on already. But so we'll just kind of hang out in the bedroom with the salt lamp on and just kind of soaking up those ions. And I'll do a little stretch before I go to sleep um, because it ap- operates the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'll let the whole day go. Like I'll stand right next to my bed, lights are off, reaching up and just kind of, you know, stretching my, my entire body and giving thanks for everything from the day. And then I just let it all go. I'm just, and I close the chapter. A lot of people don't do that. They go to bed and they start thinking about everything, right. you know? And yeah. so I shut it all down. I give thanks for everything that has happened in that day, be it good or not so good. And I close the day off. This day is finished. And now, you know, we, we, we move into the next day where I'm born again, you know, and I get to do it all over and do it better. So that's my, that's my ritual. Beautiful, man. I love it. Yeah, there's like about a million more questions that I would love to ask you, but I want to be respectful of your time. So if would it be possible for you to give, if you if there was one supplement or I prefer whole food is the way that I try to go mostly. I, I, I do a lot of supplements as well. But if there's one thing, either food or supplement that could help people out there that are looking to get a better night's sleep, is there something that you could pick that's like, I know people are missing this one. Absolutely. You know, and I, I dedicated a chapter to talk about the supplements because a lot of people would come in. They're just like, what can I take? Tell me what I could take. But I don't like that because of the allopathic thinking where we're treating a symptom. And so I give people the hierarchy of like, try this first, try this second, try this third. I don't want to get into that. People can look into that in the book. But more so, the most important thing, by the way, melatonin is not a good idea. Right. It's a hormone. It's an end product. And what the research is indicating is more and more coming out right now, excuse me, is that Individuals who are taking melatonin, which is a hormone, again, just because it's coming over, you know, like you can go buy it off a shelf in Whole Foods, doesn't mean that it's good for you. It can downregulate your body's natural production of melatonin itself. That's not good, right? So basically, it becomes habit forming. So, anyways, um, the number one thing that I would recommend people to look into as far as supplementation is magnesium. This is critical. Uh, interesting study that I put into the book was on it was on insomniacs, individuals with chronic sleep disorders and sleep problems. So what they found in the study was that 100% of the individuals in the study were deficient in magnesium. Every single one of these insomniacs were deficient in magnesium. Stretch that out even further. 80 to 90% of the United States population is deficient in magnesium. Why does this matter? This is an anti-stress mineral. This is a calming mineral. This is a mineral responsible for over 300 biochemical processes in the human body many of them relating to sleep and recovery and repair, all right? So I highly recommend you do not take a uh, internal supplement, you know, a dietary supplement form because magnesium is, well, it has a certain bowel tolerance limit, right? So if you take even a little bit too much, what you probably need to do, you're going to be having a lot of bathroom breaks, all right? And you're going to have the diarrhea, all right? So you got to be careful with that. So what I recommend is getting a topical application of magnesium. And in particular, there's only one. There's one that I found. I've tested at least like 12 different magnesium topical products and they just don't, they just don't stack up. You know, 20% absorbable, um, 15% absorbable. It's a lot of waste and you're not getting the, the super critical extract that you really need. And so the one that I use is um, magnesium infusion. And I recommend people don't just go and look for it, but I actually did an entire video detailing it, why it's so effective. It's at, uh, my website is theshawnstevensonmodel.com forward slash magnesium. Or they can check it out in my book, the link's there. All this information is there. And that stuff, man, I'm t- it's one of those things experientially, I've gotten so many amazing 
emails and responses from people from just in, including that magnesium product. Just last week, a guy, he said he'd been getting four hours, four to five hours of sleep for the last like 10 years. And now he's sleeping eight hours a night. And again, it's not about the number of hours, but for him, that's huge because it changed a, a, a certain habit that he was experiencing. Something he was experiencing on a daily basis. He wasn't getting enough time on the mat, basically. You know, even having the opportunity to get that sleep because he was missing out on this important nutrient. So it can be a game changer. And it's again, it's not like it's some cure all, but if you're deficient, it can really change your life. Awesome, man. I've, that's 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 perfect. Yeah, I've, I've same thing. I got the the topical magnesium, and it's I've noticed a significant difference with just. I mean, and and, and so much of this as well. Like it, it relates back to the you know the ritual and the placebo, and I think everything that we do, the more intention that we put into anything, the more power that it has. You know, so even if something it's like it, it does, you know, it's the, the cold hard facts and the science behind it, all that stuff's super important. But then with that, the more intention awareness we put into that and the more care that we put into it, the better. You know, I think that by creating you know, I've, I've created like balms with like lavender and MSM and magnesium and all this different stuff. And as I'm working with it, man, and I get my hands in it, you know, it's like you you're energetically, you know, again, I don't want to get all woo-woo either, but energetically you can feel like you are literally giving this stuff power whether it's in the balm or in your head it doesn't matter right yeah. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter all that matters is that you get the desired effect which is in this case go to sleep you know, so yeah. thank you so much man I, I, I've, I've no idea how much respect I have for you and for your show I have like a whole entire little like research folder on my on my uh, computer and I do podcasts and you know search on the web and all that stuff and there's a whole category devoted to the model health show so. thank you man that just made they literally that just made my whole month man <laughs> I appreciate that so much because I know you're a guy you know your stuff and that really does mean a lot thank you man yeah so could you I uh, you know you should you uh, mentioned your website. Is there any other place that people will be able to find you or like how, what's the best avenue of, of contacting you and, sure. and getting your show as well? Yeah. Well, that's where most people know me from uh, is my show. And people can check it out on iTunes. It's called The Model Health Show. And they can just search uh, The Model Health Show in the iTunes search. Or we're usually somewhere around the top of the charts. I'm very happy and honored to say uh, you can go check us out there. Or if you don't have an Apple product, you can check us out on Stitcher or anywhere that you listen to your your podcast. And I promise you it will become an intricate part of your life and uh, just more and more greatness is gonna come your way as a result. Um, or of course you could listen on the website itself and that's my home online. Got a lot of great videos now we're putting on there. Um, just a lot of cool free stuff that we, that we offer people. Um, a lot of great articles that I write. Um, I mean, so many amazing things and it's all right there. It's my home online. It's theshawnstevensonmodel.com. Or you can just Google me, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, and you'll find me there. And uh, I'll be honored to to connect with everybody. And I truly am honored to to be on your show, man. And what you what you the sentiment that you gave me, man, that means the world. And I truly appreciate it and expect a lot more greatness coming from me. Thank you, man. Fantastic, man. All right. Well, um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and I hope to see you really soon. Awesome. Aaron, take care, man. Thank you. Likewise, Sean. Align.
Dream Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Movement Medicine.